Good evening, everybody. Tonight we'll be in Matthew 12. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Matthew 12. Then we'll pray and get started. Lord, we thank you for this evening and uh, the beautiful time of worship we've had and um, this time of prayer we're, we're, we're in together. As we open your word now, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. Um, you promised to lead and guide us into all truth, and that's all we want is truth. And uh, we know it's from, from your heart and from love, and uh, we can take everything you give to us and uh, apply it to our lives. We know it's always for our best. There's, there's none of this we have to filter out. It's all um, just a beautiful expression of your love for us. And so we thank you for that. We, we thank you for this time and the, the time the kids are having with their teachers and their friends. And we pray that that time on their side is blessed as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this chapter 12, Jesus is busy, you know. Not busy for busyness sake, but there's just so much ministry surrounding him. He's just, uh, it's constant. And what you'll notice is as the crowds press against him and um, he's never alone and there's always a need, um, the beautiful thing is what he sees when that happens is the faith of the people. He sees them wanting to draw near to him. It's never an inconvenience. It's never a, a bother. Um, he's never trying to get away from the responsibilities. He's just so happy that these people are seeking him out and, and trusting in God and, and truly being led to his, to his Father, which is what he's there to do, to be, to be the expressed image of the Father. And um, so, you know, oftentimes in, in, the, in the Gospels, we'll see the disciples say, you know, send him away, or, you're gonna, or even some advice from his friends and family, you need to slow down, you're going to kill yourself with all this ministry kind of thing. And Jesus, he understands the times. He knows the amount of time he has. He knows the pressure. He knows the attacks from Satan. And he's thinking spiritually all the time. Um, and he's, he's always trying to avoid, until it's the right time to go to the cross, he's trying to avoid going to the cross because he wants as much time as possible to share the truth with as many people as possible and to touch as many lives as possible. And what a great example for us. He's never exhausted or never desires to, to be alone. In verse 1, at that time, remember he just said, my burden is light, my yoke is easy, um, come unto me. He earlier said, boy, we need to pray that the, uh, that the Lord of the harvest would send out the harvesters because it's white, okay? And so we've got all that in mind. Um, here we go. At, at, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. So it's Saturday. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Um, these guys are, are very good at finding fault. In fact, um, you know, they're working very hard to find people working on the Sabbath, I think. I think it's ironic. That they're taking all of their sweat equity and efforts into finding fault with Jesus in his ministry. In fact, so much so that I believe they're in sin. 
I believe that they are uh, violating the Sabbath themselves. They're working so hard. I, they're following and looking, not receiving anything that he has to say, just looking for a, a, a foothold in his ministry to, 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 to crush him, to, to, to destroy his fan base, because that's how they see it. The popularity uh, that they used to enjoy of being the, the top dogs, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, the, the scribes, is gone. They're no longer the top dogs. People are drawn to Jesus and his love for them. That'll always be the case. Jesus can teach and even has taught, as we've read, some pretty hard subjects and said some pretty hard things. But the people knew that he loved them so much that they were willing to listen and and follow. And maybe I'll pick it up if I stay long enough and glean. Well, these guys said, what your disciples are doing is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, um, they're passing through a field. It's not their field. They don't own it. None of the guys own it. It's a stranger's field. But that's not what's illegal. They're not stealing. We know this from Deuteronomy 23, 25. It says this when you, it's a part of the law. When you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use the sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. So it was okay to pass by a standing field of grain and grab some and kind of rub it between your fingers and uh, pop it in your mouth and chew it up and get kind of a good uh, wheat gum going and, and just sustain you until you got to where you were going. You were allowed to do that. That was part of what the poor could do to sustain themselves or a traveler. As they go from town to town, they could do these things. And so that's okay. What they're upset with is that they're violating the law of threshing. Although the law clearly states you can't take a sickle out and do that, um, which, would, which would be stealing. You'd be, you know, taking your, your neighbor's crop. On the Sabbath, you're not allowed to do any harvesting. And they considered this harvest. That's how, that's how these guys thought. Now, um, we don't want you out there picking. Yeah, I don't know how it started, but we tend to get uh, picky in our laws. We, we, we know that we're not supposed to go out and harvest, but I saw Bob out there, and he said, technically, I'm not harvesting, and he, he grabbed a bushel full of grain instead of 10 bushels of grain. And, well, we got to stop Bob from grabbing a bushel of grain every Saturday. He's getting ahead of us in the harvest. He's trying to skirt the law. He's found a loophole. Let's tighten it up a little bit. And so you can see the... The progression of getting smaller and smaller quantities of wheat made it illegal until the point where you don't touch your grain, Bob. You know, you touch your grain, you're breaking the law, you're breaking the Sabbath. Bob's like, whatever, you know. The laws are for cheaters. That's really all it is. Every law is for cheaters. It's for lawbreakers. You, you would, we wouldn't need any laws if everybody just did what they were supposed to do. But we have laws to catch the cheaters. That's all it's for, you know. Um, I was thinking about helping people go through the loan process of a home. Oh, my goodness, you know. Uh, we're going to need a profit and loss, or we're going to need this. We're gonna... They need all that because your word's not good enough anymore. We want to see proof. We want to see documentation that what you're telling us is true because they've had cheaters in the past. That's what it's for. That's all this is. So these guys get to the place where they say, you guys are threshing, you guys are harvesting, you guys are you're, 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 you're eating, you know, you're preparing food, you're not supposed to do any of that stuff on the Sabbath, you're breaking the law. Um, one of the commentators that I was looking at, um, his name is Clark, he's a, he's a pretty good one, um, he describes it this way, at this time, 
Many rabbis filled Judaism with elaborate rituals related to the Sabbath and observances of their laws. Ancient rabbis taught that on the Sabbath, a man could not carry something in his right hand or, or his left hand, across his chest or on his shoulders, but he could carry something on the back of his hand, with his foot, or maybe an elbow, in the ear, or in the hair, or in the hem of his skirt, or in the shoe or sandal. On the Sabbath, one was forbidden to tie a knot, except a woman could tie a knot to her girdle. So, if a bucket of water had to be raised from a well, one could not tie a rope around the bucket, but one could t- a woman could tie her girdle around the bucket and then tie the rope to the girdle. That's how they thought. It gets a little squirrely, you know. There's always a way out of it. Well, I got a drink. How do I do that? Use your girdle, Margaret. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I can do that, can I, you know? Ha, 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 you know? Pharisees are going, we need to make law about girdles. You know, that's just how they think. The Jews were so superstitious concerning the observance of the Sabbath that in their wars with Antiochus Epiphanes, you remember that's how they fell, and the Romans, that they thought it a crime even to attempt to defend themselves on the Sabbath. When their enemies observed this, they deterred their operations to that day. It was through this that Pompey was able to take Jerusalem. It's their own destruction. It's not what the Sabbath was about. That's not what he meant at all. And Jesus is about to explain that to them. So, you've got a problem here. Later on in Matthew chapter 23, verses 15 through 17, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and then... When he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obligated to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? They were just like that, you know? I swear by the temple, I'm telling you the truth. Well, that means nothing to me. I swear by the gold of the temple. He must be telling the truth. I mean, they're just, so these guys are doing nothing wrong but grabbing some grain like they're supposed to, according to the law, by the way, with the author of the law with them, Jesus Christ, which he's going to tell us here in a minute. Grabbing grain, they're doing that and they're eating. Now, on a side note, it wasn't anything for Jesus to take five loaves and two little fish and make a gigantic smorgasbord for 5,000 people, right? And yet when it comes to his guys, he says, I don't know, grab some grain. Let's go. Keep moving. He could have stopped anywhere along the way and said, just pick up that loaf of bread I made right there and grab that loaf of bread over there and the juice that's behind that stalk of grain over there. He could have done anything like that. He says, no, you guys can go ahead and grab some grain like the poor people do. I want you to do it like the poorest of the poor have to do. I want you to do that for ministry. I want you to experience that. I'm not here to fulfill those needs. We're here to fulfill their needs. I'm not here to fulfill your needs kind of thing. It's interesting that he doesn't, what he doesn't do. So they chew him out. Well, Jesus steps in. He says to them, now, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, you understand what they are? They're basically lawyers. And so what do lawyers do? The thing we hate to do, they read. Maybe you like to read. But 
as I sit at the transaction table, again, meaning not, I can't help it, I pull real estate into this, but when you're sitting across the table and you're at title, you're closing, and they're saying, do you want me to read all this or do you want to sign it? And most people are like, I'm just signing it. I'm just signing it. You got those, some people though, they're like, in a minute, you know. And I'm like, oh man, I'm going to start playing video games on my phone while we're doing this because it's going to take them about an hour and a half to read through that four-page document with small print. That's all these guys do. So when Jesus says this, have you not read? That is the biggest, that's just, he's digging them. He's giving them an insult. He's saying, haven't you read this? So all we do is read, you know, I know. And you missed it. You still missed it. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or have you not read in the law, <laughs> there it is again, that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. What is he talking about? Him. Me. I made the temple. I made, I made it all. I created all of this. There's one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And the word even there doesn't have to be there. It could be just Lord of the Sabbath. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. That's a claim to deity. That's a claim to be God. Nobody else can claim to be Lord of the Sabbath. These guys can say they know more about the Sabbath than everybody else, but you cannot claim to be Lord of the Sabbath unless you're the author of the Sabbath. Jesus is saying, I wrote these laws. I made this, and they're not breaking it. Now, that's the kind of lawyer you want on your side. The guy that wrote the law, you know? And he's standing beside you going, he's innocent. You know, And you understand we have an advocate with the Father who stands before our Father and points to you and to I who have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior and says they're innocent. He's the writer of the law. Who can challenge him? Who can say you don't understand the law? You don't understand what J.D.'s done? You don't understand the depths of the depravity that he had before he came to know this Jesus, you know? And Jesus says, no, he's, he's innocent. He's guiltless, you know? He's the author. Stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. Stay as close to Jesus as possible. He's the author of the law. He'll never break the law. So as long as you're with him, you'll be fine. You'll always be fine with Jesus. You don't have to worry about how it's all written. They don't have to worry about how much grain they were grabbing in their hands. They're with the author of the law, the Lord of the Sabbath. He's not going to let them break the law. It's wonderful. Don't you guys know this? Now, I don't want to read this to you. It takes too long. Hebrews 4 is your cross-reference if you want to read it later on, but it speaks of Jesus being our Sabbath. And it's written kind of funny in Hebrews chapter 4, so let me give you a breakdown of it. The writer, which I believe is Paul, but it could have been anybody. We don't know the author. Begins to talk about the Sabbath, that day of rest that God promises. And he starts off, you know that one place where it talks about that day of rest where he rested on the seventh day? And we're all like, yeah, it's Genesis. Good job, you know. That wasn't it. And you remember that one time when they went across the Jordan River and run into promised land and were promised that day of rest? Well, David later on, he's king in that same promised land. He says, there's another day of rest coming. So that wasn't it. And so the author of Hebrews is trying to get the Hebrews to understand that wasn't the day of rest, the Saturday. That's not it. That's not the rest he wants to, and longs for us to come into. It isn't the promised land of Israel. That's not the rest. It's something else. 
It's the one I'm about to finish up talking about, he says, in the rest of Hebrews. Jesus is your Messiah. He is your rest. He's a rest from the law. He's a rest from trying to obtain favor with God through obedience to the law. It's simply by grace and mercy that God gives us this beautiful rest. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you have everything. He fulfilled the law completely and perfectly to the point where he says it's finished. It's not like it's a a continual thing. He says, no, I've finished it. I've completed the law. And then he puts you in him. You're in Christ. So you have fulfilled the law. You're, You're perfect. You're as perfect as you could ever be. That's your place of rest. That's our place of rest is in Christ. It's a beautiful place of rest. And so that's where Hebrews 4, and you can read that on your own, what he's talking about. Well, Jesus just shuts him up and says, no, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, they didn't like that. They never do. None of of these things are going to please these guys. So keep that in mind. Only a few of them come to know the Lord, but most of them in this crowd of Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes, they're doing one thing. They're just trying to get him to stop. That's their goal. Stop Jesus. That's Satan's goal. Verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, this is the same guys. They followed him into the synagogue. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. So that's how we know who they are. It's these guys, these Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, the guy with the withered hand is going in his his breath. I sure hope so. Now, this got me emotional when I was studying, and I'll probably get emotional again, but I want, to know, I want us to, well, I noticed something, so I'm going to share it with you. If anybody had a reason not to go to church, knowing who he was going to come in contact with, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, it'd be Jesus. I mean, every time I go to, every time I go there, it's those guys are there. There's always a confrontation. It's never, there's never a, t- a moment of peace with these guys. I mean, it's all, I'm just done with it. You know, I'm happy on the side of a hill. I get five thousand people out there, but he didn't, because it was the custom of the day to go to synagogue. We don't have anything in the law about that, but it was the custom of the day. He went. He went anyway. Now, there's another guy that had a good reason not to go there. It's the guy who's been crippled his whole life with this withered hand. You know? I know a lot of people that are crippled up. I know a lot of people that are bitter or have wounds or hurts. Like, I'm not going to church. This guy shows up because he wants to meet God. And he literally meets him. Because he's obedient. I know where I'm supposed to be on Saturday, and that is in the synagogue, and I don't care about my withered hand, and I don't care what everybody says. I don't care how they look at me or where they seat me when I come into the place because I'm crippled up. I don't care about any of that stuff. I'm going to meet my God. I'm going to worship him and praise him for all that he's done for me, even though I got this floppy hand, you know? And because he's faithful that day to show up in synagogue because you just don't know what's going to happen, he met his creator there that day. Oh, I'm glad I went to church today, the withered man, the guy with the withered hand says, you know, this is so powerful. I never know. You know, for the most part, when I study, you have those study times, and you get the data, and you pray about it, and he gives you some nuggets, and you share it, and then you have moments like what I had here when I was studying, 
where it's even hard to get past this verse and continue studying. It's one of those moments where in the text, because I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm just I'm teaching on Wednesday, I study, I get ready, I prepare a meal, I want to give it out to the people, I pray, God help me, fill me with your spirit, help me not to get in the way and say stupid things, you know, the usual prayer. And then you come across something like this and it just stops you dead in your tracks. And God meets you in the text. And you're just broken before him saying, Forgive me if I've ever not wanted to go to church. Forgive me if there's ever a time when I thought maybe I could have somebody else teach or somebody else do this or whatever, you know? You do what God calls you to do. You do it faithfully. And every once in a while, there's your creator. I mean, he's always there. Don't misunderstand me. I know it's God's word. I'm always blessed when I get into it. But I've struggled with the flesh like anybody else, you know? And there are times where, and I don't know if you have these moments with your quiet times or not, where it's just easier to sleep in. It's rainy, it's cloudy, I'm going to meet God with my eyes closed, you know? I hit this and I'm like, good for this. I just love this. Both of these men, I mean, respectfully, God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ showing up to meet these yahoos that are always challenging him. But he doesn't care because he knows there's a guy with a withered hand there that wants to meet his creator. And he's been, who knows how long he's been waiting for this day. You know, Charlie's going to be surprised today. I'm going to sit right next to him. Hey, you new here? You know, you could see Charlie probably being the guy that greeted him. Hi, I'd shake with this hand, but it doesn't work. You know, welcome to the synagogue. I haven't seen you. You know, I don't know what happened. Oh boy, buddy. And all these Pharisees and Sadducees can think about is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him if he does? You understand that? Oh, I hope he heals him. Then we got him. Who thinks like that? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into the pit or into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And I'd finish up with a a name probably for these guys, but he doesn't. Of course it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And of course that, as a lawyer, like, oh, oh yeah, that's doing good. To not help this guy is to do evil, and that's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. See, you've got two problems. You've got a law that says don't work, and for some reason they think healing is a work when it's not, but it's because God does the healing. But they've got it in their mind. So you've got this other law that says we've got to do good on the Sabbath. And so the doing good one trumps the other law. So when you ever come into conflict with something, there's always a law that trumps it. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your withered hand or stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. That was their conclusion. I get mad when I read this. In Luke, it says... um, They were furious. They were enraged in Luke chapter 6, verse 11, telling the same story. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were enraged that he healed this guy. Who gets enraged that some crippled person is able to now use their hand like they're supposed to and they've never been able to do it? Amazing to me. When you hate Jesus or you don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, everything he does looks bad to you. And everything that somebody who loves him does looks bad to you. 
There's always this just bitter hatred. And that's because their father is Satan. Jesus calls it. He says that. Now, get over that in verse 30 if, if we get there. I don't know. I told Jenny, I said, this is packed. I don't know if I can get through this whole chapter. But anyway, understand that when a person begins to do things that line up with Satan, that's a, that's a telltale sign that that's who their father is, that they're not a believer in Jesus. If that's what they're upset with, you know? Anyway, that's what happens. Um, Mark chapter 7, if you want to turn there really quick, it's, an, it's, a, it's the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read it all, obviously. We don't, but it is one that you could read later on. And he's talking about how um, in this, what defiles a man? And he's trying to teach. All this is teaching. All this is teaching. They're surrounded by these kind of laws. They're surrounded by this kind of uh, minutia that is uh, added by men. And Jesus loved that because he's a writer of the law. He loves to challenge the traditions of the men that get in the way of what he wrote, which is what's happened here. Should you heal on the Sabbath? Of course I'm supposed to heal. You said I'm not supposed to heal on the Sabbath. That's not what I said when I wrote this down. You're wrong. And so he challenges all these things. He starts pushing against their, uh, their, their traditions of men. So he's trying to teach the Pharisees. And the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eating bread with defiled, uh, with defiled that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. Of course, that's what they do. They find fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews did not eat unless they washed their hands in a special way. Not just wash your hands. That's kind of, you should do that but in a special way, you know, holding the tradition of the elders. And there it is. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, um, and so on. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And Jesus is just done with these guys. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men, which we can't do. We're not authorized to teach the doctrines of men as, as or commandments of men as, as doctrines. Can't do that. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers, cups, and many other such things you do. When you put these things into place that you've come up with to maybe help people you think with the law, you violate the law, or you cause them to violate the law. All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and he who curses father and mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corbin, that is a gift to God. In other words, I've, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I know you need money, but I've dedicated this to the Lord. So you can't have it until I'm dead or whatever. Oh, thanks. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. That's just an example, he says. 
And they called the multitude to himself. He says, hear me, everyone, and understand. This is in front of them. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Exclamation point. He was done with it. All that matters is God's word. All that matters is what he says. We've got ways of ministering, and that's fine. We've got styles of ministry, and that's fine too. There's nothing wrong with that. But those styles can't become commands or doctrines. Those are just styles. Those are just ways, you know. We could say, if you're not having a five-minute break between worship and teaching, you are anathema from God. What? Doesn't make sense. And we could probably justify it. Well, the five minutes gives us time to do, 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 do. You could make up all sorts of stuff. Could write a book on it. The five-minute break and holiness thereof, you know, kind of thing. That's what these guys have done. And they've got it in their mind that this is right. And Jesus is like, no, you're wrong. These people now want to kill Jesus. That's what destroy means. They went out immediately and planned his death. Verse 15, back in chapter 12. But when Jesus knew it, that they were planning his death, he withdrew from there, not because he's a coward or scared, but because it wasn't time. And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. That's what I meant by all that pressure, all those people surrounding them. He says at one point that he couldn't do much healing in his hometown because of their unbelief. I wanted to do many signs and wonders among you. I wanted to heal a lot of people, but I couldn't because of your unbelief. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what he says. These people, this is one of the rare times you see him say, I healed them all. Why? Because they all had faith to be healed. They all knew that he was the one. They all understood it. And he's surrounded by people like that, this multitude. And he didn't think it was a way. He's like, this is exactly what I want. I'd like a billion people following me and pressing me all day long. And I'd love to heal them all. I'd like to take them all to heaven if I could. And the only reason people don't go to heaven and don't grow in the Lord is because they don't have faith. They don't follow him. They don't believe him. This is great, he says. I love it. Yet he warned them. <laughs> he always does this. I don't mean to laugh at Jesus, but it's kind of funny. Yet he warned them not to make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen. This is uh, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed, in other words, it's almost broken, but not quite. He won't even break that. He won't break it. A smoking flax, which is like your match after you blow it out and it kind of smokes a little bit, he won't extinguish. He won't quench. Till he sends forth justice to victory, and in his name Gentiles will trust. Now the whole point of those two things, we don't get that very much, is if you see a bruised reed, he's going to make sure that it continues to grow. He's going to try to heal it and help it recover from that bruise. He's not here to snap it off and do something. No, I want him to do better. The, 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 the burnout match, it's not going to, he's trying to get it to flame back up again. That's what I've come for. I'm not here to break reeds and, and quench those things. I'm here to Get things going. I'm here to heal and light on fire, you know? Those are the things I'm here to do. That's what the prophecy was, and he's doing it. And those guys are trying to blow it out. 
I, I think of that. We get to that place. I don't know what time of the year you guys do it, but you go out and you guys begin to burn off the grasses and stuff like that. Is it twice a year that you do that or just once a year? I'm looking at you because maybe you know. Once a year? Okay. You light those things on fire and you see those guys out. And they do it at nighttime so they can see you know, if it gets out of control or something. And it's, it's, but it'd be like going up to these flames and going, what's that going to do? It's going to make it worse. You don't want wind, you know? And that's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring a mighty wind, and he's blowing it, and the people are getting ministered to, and they're, getting, and they're following him. It's, it's just beautiful. Verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Yeah. And what they mean, son of man, son of God, son of David, that all means it's the Messiah. Is this the Messiah? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, could this be the son of David? They said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of, de- of the demons. These guys, every time they open their mouth. It's just Satan casting out demons. No big deal. He wouldn't be able to do it without, you know, without Satan's power. That's what they're saying, so you understand the next part. He wouldn't be able to do this unless he had Satan's power, okay? So Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? See, they had itinerant casting out guys, you know, the priests. They would go out and they cast out demons. Probably wasn't very effective, and that's the jealousy here. They probably went out and, you know, put a pinch of salt on some poor guy's head and, and you know, whatever they did back then, some hullabaloo, and it didn't happen. And the guys are still demon-possessed. Otherwise, these people wouldn't be here. So whatever they did didn't work. So he's saying, what do you guys employ these guys to go do? If I'm casting out by Satan, and that's the only way this is effective, what do you think your guys are doing? You're sending them out to cast out demons? So are they working for Satan too? Therefore, they shall be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, because those are the two choices, either I am Satan and I'm casting out my buddies, or I am doing it by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Ta-da! Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. There's no gray area with Jesus. There's no middle ground. Well, I'm agnostic. Nope, you're against Jesus. I'm an atheist. Nope, you're against Jesus. I told you I don't believe in God. You're against Jesus. If you're not with him, you're against him. You don't get to ride that fence. Jesus made too many claims. He said too many things about himself. He's either an absolute lunatic, a crazy man, drink my Kool-Aid kind of guy, or he was who he said he was because he claimed to be God, come in the flesh. He was able to heal and cast out demons. He made claims that nobody's ever made before. His disciples said he rose from the dead. Either he did or he didn't. It's either a big scam and he's absolutely false or he's exactly who he said he was. He says, and I like this. I like the way he describes himself. I came into this guy's house because this is his house. Satan is the god of this world right now. 
He knows that. I came in and I'm bound that I bound that strong man. Now I'm setting I'm setting everybody free. I got him tied up and now I'm setting everybody free. If you're not with me, you're against me. Um Mm, let me do this. John 8, verses 43 through 45. Why do you not understand my speech? He's talking to the Pharisees. Because you're not able to listen to my word. You're of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. He just flat out said, your father is Satan to these guys. Now that's convicting for those who didn't think they were of their father, Satan. And that gives them time to think about, because I'm thinking of Nicodemus, because he's got to be one of the guys that heard this. As he's standing there with his Pharisee buddies, and Jesus looks at him and goes, you guys are doing the work of Satan. He's your father. That's not what I want. Now, I don't think the rest of them said that, but Nicodemus certainly did, because he came to Jesus by night and says, I know that you're a great teacher. Explain this stuff. What's happening here? How do you, what do you mean how you can be born again? How am I going to climb into my mother's womb again? I don't get it. And he says, you are a teacher of the law, and you don't understand these things? But he brings this guy along to the point where Nicodemus comes to Jesus after he's dead and brings him and helps him, helps embalm him and get him ready for the tomb. He's a believer. He's a follower. Okay. So these harsh statements that we think, well, that's not very seeker-friendly. That's not very kind. That's not very loving. It's exactly what some of these Pharisees needed to slap them out of their legalism, to slap them out of their self-righteousness. Your father and your will is of Satan. You know, what do you say to that? Except challenge It challenges you. Good for him. Matthew 16, 18. He tells Peter, who says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says to him, And I also say to, to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Uh, that's the truth, that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus came to set people free from their destination hell by opening the gates of hell and pulling them out, saving them from the fire. And this church, which is who we are as the body of Christ, are designed to do. We're here to go get people out of hell, not to keep hell at bay. We get this idea that we're behind the gates trying to keep people away. No, we bind the strong man. We walk in and we grab people out of the fire. That's what we're called to do. To go right in there, to go to synagogue, even though you know, you're going to be met with um, controversy and, and people that want to fight you and argue with you or hate you or whatever. Just go, you know? And you go grab people and you, you take them out of hell. That's great. Through the good news. Verse 31, Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Okay, that's a good thing to know then. What's the one thing that will keep me going to hell no matter what? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So what is that? We, we want to know what that is, I would imagine. You know, Well, I've got a, a few scriptures that I'll try to take you through. Um, the Holy Spirit has a specific purpose. 
Jesus is the expressed image of the Father, but the Holy Spirit brings people to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's message is you need Jesus, basically. So to bl- this is the summation before I get into the details. So if you reject the message of the Holy Spirit, you blaspheme and say, no, I don't believe you, I disregard you. Well, obviously, you haven't come to Christ then, so there is no bloodshed for the remission of your sins. You are dead in your sins, dead in your trespasses, because you've rejected, you've blasphemed the Holy Spirit and his message of coming to Christ. Okay, that's the simple version. John 16, verses 7 through 11. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world. This is his message, the Holy Spirit. Convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me, Jesus. Of righteousness, because I, Jesus, go to my Father, and you see me, Jesus, no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. That's his message. Satan is going to hell. We're going to wrap him up in a chain and throw him in there shortly. And if you don't receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you get wrapped up in the same chain and go with him, because you're as guilty as he is. Now, to avoid that chain, you accept the Christ is your Lord and Savior because he died on the cross for those sins that have chained you, okay? I'd like to set you free from that. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. For if we sin willfully, after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. I throw that in there so you understand what that means. It doesn't mean that if I sin after I'm a born-again believer that now I'm doomed That's how some people teach it. It's not what it means because everyone in this room has sinned even after they've come to Christ. So we're all doomed? No. What it means is if I reject Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, if I reject the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, if I sin against him and throw him out, there no longer remains a sacrifice for my sins. And so those are on me. I hold on to those sins. The sacrifice, that's literally what it means. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. Because I've rejected the only sacrifice accepted by by the Father for my sins. Okay? A little deep tonight. I know. Everybody's going, it is a packed chapter, you know? Okay. I'll try to wrap it up here. We'll try. I don't know if I can. That's okay, isn't it? We can split a chapter. You guys got it in you to go the rest of it? Or how you do? How are they doing, Rod? Keep going? Okay. He says keep going. You guys are like, oh, man. Let's go a little further. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit, brood of vipers. <laughs> he just throws that in there. How can, you, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his... Uh, 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 Sorry, I lost my place. Treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word man may speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. It's all written down. It's all going to be made public. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered, saying, and you'd think these guys had learned to be quiet by now, but they don't. Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Okay, besides the demon-possessed guy speaking and seeing again, or the withered hand guy, or which, which one weren't you guys paying attention, you know? So here's what he says to him: We want to see more miracles. 
An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. I mean, he is not letting up on these guys. You guys, your father, he's Satan. You guys, you're a brood of vipers. You guys don't even know the law that you're supposed to read. I mean, he doesn't stop. What is he doing? Is he just being mean? And am I laughing at the fact that Jesus is just being mean? No. He is undermining their confidence in what they stand upon. What you stand upon is a bunch of lies and your arrogance and your pride and your own laws that you made up because you've learned to keep them and you know that the poor people can't and you read the law and you expect everybody else not to know the law so that makes you look better than everybody else and he's just wiping them out from under their feet so they're all tumbling to the ground looking like a bunch of fools so that they can be humbled. Letting people stand on their pride and their arrogance because we're afraid we're going to hurt their feelings is not what some people need to come to Christ. They've got to to stand upon the rock. And if they're not standing upon Jesus Christ, they're on sand. And Jesus is just showing them, you're on sand. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. In other words, Nineveh is better than you. Because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. There it is again. Me. The queen of the south will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came uh, from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, greater is Solomon is here. I love that. That's three times in this chapter he said that. Greater, greater than the temple, greater than Solomon, greater than Jonah. I mean, these are the big names. And to stand there and say in humility that you're greater than all those things, that's a big deal. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through, the dry, through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation." house cleansed, all cleaned up, but if it's not filled with the Holy Spirit, if it's not filled with Jesus Christ, then you're an empty, open, available apartment for all the demons to come and join in. That's why you've got to be filled with the Spirit. You must receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. Cleaning up your life only makes it more available for the other guys to join in, is what he's getting at. It's a terrible thing. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. And then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And he answered and said to the one who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand towards his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. That's us. That's a great place to end, huh? That's us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this beautiful chapter. I thank you for the guy with the withered hand. He just really touched me. You know that. I know that lots of these, lots of things in this chapter touched a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. And I thank you for your word that it's alive. It's in the hands of your Holy Spirit and it's able to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit and get right to the heart of the matter in our lives. 
So I thank you for that, God. Bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.